of your eye. Huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. Okay, sure. We're ready. Whatever. (laughs) Absolutely. Episode seven, let the right one in. Yes. Um, A Swedish film from 2008 that I did not know came from a novel until you pointed that out to me. We we found that out. That's crazy. We did. And we were even kind of laughing that you you have like three vampire movies you like, and we just put them all in season one. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The fourth would be uh, 30 Days of Night, but that's a very popular movie. And that's not what the... (laughs) Too popular for podcast us. is for that's right. <laughs> People know that one. That's right. Um, the book was written by a guy named John Lindquist. Um, and it was his first book. Wow, which I find fascinating. Um, he also did the uh, screenplay for the movie. Oh, okay. So he's been involved with it the whole time. Nice. Uh, this movie has been remade into um an american version called let me in um and it's really interesting um john lindquist when asked about the american remake was like yeah sure it'll be interesting it'll be someone else's take the director on the other hand his name was thomas alfredson um and he's probably well known for doing uh tinker taylor sailor spy okay uh he he directed that film um, when he heard about the American remake, he's like, that's stupid. Remakes are for bad movies. And this was not a bad movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I kind of agree with him, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. but the funny thing is, uh, how many times have we already said this season? Well, this is a good movie and they made a crappy American remake. <laughs> yeah. And let me in isn't bad. And, and I even said that I think I've seen Let Me In, and then I watched Let the Right One In, and there's a couple scenes that are like almost identical. They're blocked yep. and everything. Like it's like, oh, that looks just like it, just like it, same angles and everything. Yeah, I just tonality wise, I you, it's might sound stupid, but it was written by a Swedish guy in a Swedish setting, so when it's filmed in Swedish, it just it seems to feel so much better in this version than the American version did to me. Yeah, it was a good uh, movie. Definitely. It's subtitled for those that are playing along and having a drink, every subtitled movie. Um, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We only got 10 episodes, so it's all good. That's right. (laughs) Um, there are, uh, two major stars to this movie. There's probably about eight, cast roles in the movie um but the two major stars um are Kara Hedebrandt he plays Oscar um and he has gone on to do three movies in television series in Sweden so uh not unlike La Casa Muda where I'm like yeah this person did other stuff but you're not gonna know it because they're from Uruguay (laughs) this is the same thing um Lena Lederson was Ely and she's also gone on to do three more movies um and again I've never heard of any of them because. Right. And the kids were really good in this movie. Oh, incredibly well. Yes. 
the movie was made on a $4 million budget, so it's not a small wow. budget movie. And I, I have a note right here that says it's one of our standard Hollywood movies. It yeah. felt like that, mm-hmm. even though it's foreign for us. It's not It's not a massive blockbuster. Like This isn't like a nine-digit film, but it's still, you know, four million dollars is nothing to sneeze at. And no. it grossed thirteen million worldwide, which isn't bad for a foreign horror film. No, not bad at all. That's that's more than most of the other movies we've watched. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's crazy that they had four million because there's not like any outrageous special effects. I mean, it's a lot of practical effects and stuff that's hinted at but not actually shown. You know, so that's that, I find that an interesting budget. There's actually a lot more technical stuff that's going on with this movie, and most of it relies on sound and foley. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in a second. Okay, cool. But um, the movie was supposed to be uh, take place in a suburb of Stockholm called Blackenberg. Or Blackenberg. Black... There's no N in it. It's Blackenberg. Um, but... Because of, I don't know, the time or something like that, it was shot further north in a city called Lulia, which is the capital of the northernmost county in Sweden, because they wanted to keep that super cold winter dark look through the whole thing. Um, Lindqvist and Alfredson, the writer and the director, have both admitted they don't like vampires. They're not into the vampire genre. So you'd get along with them. Yeah, and maybe that's why I like their movie so well, uh, because they're like, we're going to make a movie about a topic we really don't like, so we're going to have to come at it some different way. And, I, and I've said many times, some of the best stuff you come up with is with a restriction. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a theme. Um, the word vampire only occurs once in the entire movie. Oh, I didn't count. Well, okay, so don't go drinking on the word vampire in this That's movie. right. It'll be a very long, dry time for you. Although, if you compare the vampire in Let the Right One In as opposed to the ones in... Um... Byzantium? Oh, yeah, and as opposed to the ones in Byzantium, uh, they kept so many more of the vampire tropes in Let the Right One In than they did in Byzantium. Yes, and they even showed one in an interesting way that I don't think I'd seen before. We'll get to that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the title is based on a Morrissey song. <laughs> Let the Right One In is a Morrissey song, and if you get the chance, uh, you should look it up. It is your typical Morrissey song. It's, I mean, you can't help but kind of bop while it's playing. <laughs> uh, it's only two minutes and 30 seconds long. And it basically, I mean, like the theme of the song just really seems to be, hey, if it's not good for you, get rid of it and let all the good stuff in. Okay. And I thought, well, that's a really odd choice for a kind of grim vampire movie title. But yeah. and, and I and I we kind of talked about this too. Like the first half of this season was very, very dark, very down. Yes. And we're lightening up. And this is a little bit of an in-between. It didn't have the 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 just dense, dark, foreboding feeling through the whole thing, but it wasn't lighthearted either. It's funny you say that because I find this to be one of the grimmest films that we've had. Really? Yeah. Huh. And again, we'll get to that later. Okay. Um, so there was a theme that occurred in the book 
Um, and it's hinted at in this movie that I didn't pick up on until I watched it a second time. And the the theme is that Ely is not a girl. Um, in the book, it's it's explained that Ely, the female vampire who's uh, you know around three hundred years old or so, three hundred and twelve, is, is actually yes, <laughs> and twelve is actually a castrated boy. Okay, and they kind of showed that, and she even said, "I'm not a girl." Right, um, and the showing part of it when I first saw it, I like felt that scene coming up and I was like, I'm really not going to pay a whole lot of attention to this scene. Cause this is a little disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out it was a mannequin that they used for the scene. Um, which, you know, I thought it might be a bodysuit or whatever. So I just kind of glad, you know, let, just let it go over, but it's such a big deal. They specifically picked Lena to play Ely in this movie because she has kind of an androgynous look about her. Okay, yeah. And her voice was too girly. So they actually had an actress named Elif Salen, who's like 40 years old, overdub all of her lines throughout wow. the whole movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that's this is where this is where I think some of the budget went to. Yeah, was that there's kind a lot of, thing. of budget there. <laughs> Cuz it is seamless. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't speak Swedish, but Yeah, I, there's no hint at all that that's not actually her talking. But when yeah. you listen to it, you're like, oh, you know what? I see that now. It's really deep when she's yeah. speaking, you wow. know, for what would be a 12-year-old girl. But wow, I didn't even suspect that. Yeah. That's, and I, I, I like you, you talking about that as a major part of the theme. Because what I put down thinking about is like the, the focus of the movie for me, what I picked up was friendship will overcome. Friendship is like family and becomes most important. And, you know, it, it ties into that all over the place. And even with what you just said, it even makes it more of a theme to me. Sure. Um, it's shot in a very muted uh, color palette. And by that, I don't mean they desaturated it like they do in a lot of movies. They just purposely shot in places where all the colors were very muted or earth tones with one exception. In almost almost every scene, there will be a small accent in red. Gee, we've not seen that before, have we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, I mean, when I say small, I mean down to the point like uh, there's a guy named uh, Hakan in the movie, and he's doing something, and he has a jar, and the lid of the jar, as it sits on the shelf in the background, is red. Everything else is super muted. Wow. So I, I, um, I missed it on this one. I picked it up on Byzantium. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. This movie is um, pretty universally loved. It's, it, it's well worth it. It was nominated for 133 awards. Oof. And it won 75 of those. Wow. Yeah. And, and that, was that like any of the normal American awards that we hear of, or are these other international and Swedish awards? A lot of them are international awards, but it's not like strictly Sweden. It would be like a BAFTA and okay. uh, that kind of thing. So a wow, lot of it cool. is uh, the sound uh, because they, they purposely, the Foley work in this is crazy. 
not only did they um, take things like sausage, you know, like freshly cooked sausage, and they would like bite into it and record it and use that for the sounds of Ely attacking someone. Um, they made Elif Ceylon, the voiceover lady, be the one who did the biting and all of the slurping and everything. So not only did wow. she have to do all the voiceover, she also had to do so much of the Foley work as well. And like a lot of the movies we've talked about, this is like the, the director's pet project. It's the one that, you know, and they just go that extra mile. And that harkens back to one of my favorite movies and the sound is Star Wars. I mean, some of the stuff mm. they did to get sounds in that movie Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the day. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, I do have a note on here just before we get into the actual movie itself that I came across that I thought was really funny. The movie is listed on the 1001 movies you must see before you die. Oh, nice. Okay. Who do you think curates that? Uh, I'm not sure who. It's curated by a gentleman by the name of Steven Schneider. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't even know I did that in an alternate life. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. the Steven Schneider who used the V, not the PH. Oh, well, he spells it wrong. That's mm-hmm. my my alter ego, obviously. Yes. Yeah. I, when I lived in California, I was getting calls because I was behind on my Porsche payment. That really sucks for you, seeing as how yeah. you don't even get the Porsche. Exactly. That, I said, <laughs> here's where I live. Come and pick it up. Yeah. yeah. Who knows whose they would have got? I don't know. But... Come repo it. Yeah. All right, that's all the notes, uh, like that's, opening notes that I had. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. If uh, this movie definitely just hits as a vampire movie, um, if you're looking for your typical, you know, Twilight or interview with a vampire, this is not it. The vampires in this movie are very bestial. Um, they just, there's no not a whole lot of high society in this movie. No, it's not a Hollywood vampire. It's not an Anne Rice vampire. Right. Um, it's almost closer to the original concept of the vampire. You know, the the creature coming up from the grave and stalking through. But it's a girl, which makes it disturbing, and uh, or looks like a girl, I guess now. Uh, yeah. And and they do hit on a lot of the vampire tropes, but not in the standard way. I would say not like upfront all the time. Right. Um, it's just, it is. So if you're looking for that kind of high end vampire movie, this n- definitely isn't it for you. If you're looking at, for something that's going to make you think a little bit, um, and it seems almost like the conceptual mental exercise of working through the issues in this movie are far more important. And the vampire is just the the vehicle to get yeah, you there. Yeah, ex- exactly. We've said that about a few of the other, yeah. other movies too. It's it's almost a gateway movie. If you're tired of the typical Hollywood vampires and you want something different, this is a good one to try out. Yeah. Um, and the movie sets the tone right off the bat. Not unlike The Innocence, uh, it opens with a black screen. And now there's no little kid singing, and the black screen doesn't last for 45 seconds. But it opens with a black screen, and very quickly that black screen uh, has snow fall across it, and you realize, oh, it's snowing and it's night. Um, and that's how the movie opens up. And a then lot it, of night shots. There are a lot of night shots, which kind of makes sense, because in this vampire movie, the vampires are allergic to sun. Yep. Very much so. But unlike like the, the Dracula and Stephen King's Salem's Lot, 
they're still able to move about when it's daytime, just not get in the sun. And that's right. a slight difference yes. uh, to a lot of vampires. So, like, you know, if you're thinking of, like, the vampire or the Dracula trope, if you come by his place during the day, he's out. He's unconscious. He can't do anything. And we'll f- you find in this movie, that's just when they like to sleep. Yeah. And if you wake them up. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes up. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, there's a boy uh, who is looking out a window. Uh, he's got straight blonde. I mean, I don't know that you could pick any more Swede-looking kind of kid. His hair is, like, white. Um, and it's kind of long. It, the movie is set in 1982. And he has, like, a very good European <laughs> 1982 haircut. Yeah. Um, he's got a knife. And he's playing with that knife, and he's doing that whole taxi driver thing, where it's like, hey, you looking at me? You know, where De Niro's talking into the mirror. He's doing that with reflection. And and this is, <laughs> I started thinking about this, because he's saying something about, hey, you pig. And throughout the movie, pigs are used as a slander, you know, among the kids. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, I wonder why that is. Okay, well, pigs are traditionally large and kind of fat gross looking they hang out in the slop but they're incredibly intelligent yeah um as this kid is and then if you meet like a wild boar in the wild they're crazy dangerous too yeah um which it turns out not necessarily directly but this kid's kind of dangerous too yeah it's a good good analogy actually now that you mention it for the insult uh, while he's standing at the window, like posing and threatening, uh, you know, imaginarily threatening his bullies and who you'll meet later on, he sees a guy and um, a a girl arrive in the middle of the night to his apartment complex and start to move in. Um, the next thing that we see is a shot from outside, and we see the guy who's moving into the complex is actually boarding up the windows with cardboard. Um, so that's usually not typical behavior. Right. Now, if you don't know it's a vampire movie yet, uh, the very beginning, I, I was, I'm like, I know what it is, but I'm going to look at it as if, what could it be? Because right. you get those shocks and surprises. And really, it starts to look like this guy is a serial killer. Just it plain does. out. And it's a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. A serial killer... Um, with a kid, right? Which by itself is a fantastic, you know, kind of yeah. uh, uh, theme to explore. Yeah. But and he is, but there's a reason, <laughs> right? He is he he doesn't do it by choice. Um, it then cuts and we see Oscar in school, and there's a police officer standing up there doing the whole drugs are bad thing. Um, and he like the cop is trying to make police work look like super intellectual and he's like we found this body and we found we figured it was dead before and he's like does anybody know why and oscar the kid from the night before is like because there was no smoke in the guy's lungs so he and the cop's like that's that's right how'd you figure that out (laughs) um which again makes oscar look like a serial killer (laughs) it does uh, Oscar actually starts to look a lot like a serial killer throughout this movie. He definitely yeah. starts taking on sociopathic traits. Yeah. Um, 
one of the bullies is in the class and the camera kind of pans back as the bully takes note of the fact that Oscar is just so freaking smart. Can't stand this scrawny little weirdo. Um, and the bully, um, whose name is Connie, I think C O N N Y and two, and his two little friends, uh, like corner Oscar in the hall afterwards. And he flicks his nose and calls him a pig. Um, and I was like, oh, there's the pig thing again. Um, but that's the See, that's When that all happened, I hearkened it back to that opening scene with Oscar that he doesn't want to <laughs> lash out to these bullies that he's been picked on. But they're calling him a piggy, blah, blah. And to him, you know, if I had this knife, are you, now you're the piggy. Ha ha. I got you. You're yeah. the one. So it definitely was, like you said, sociopathic tendencies. Yes. Yes, and it just takes a push, as we find out. Um, as Oscar's walking home, he notices that the windows are all boarded up in Ely's apartment. And then um, the camera cuts to inside, and we see uh, the guy who came in, you know, we're assuming her father. His name is Hakan, or Hakan. I don't know how it's pronounced in Swedish. Um, and he's got a knife and a jug and a funnel and he's packing it all into this travel case, which yeah, is a very nice and yeah, it's well packed in there. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's made for it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And he's got this, uh, this kind of, this canister, uh, with a mask on it to like gas people and knock them out. <laughs> You're like, Oh, okay. Maybe I see why the windows are boarded up now. Um, then it cuts to an outdoor scene where he's outside and uh, some guy's walking down through the snow and he like stops and asks him, do you know what time it is? And as they're having this conversation, he just comes out and gasses the guy, drags him off into the, into the woods, strings him up like a deer and starts to bleed him into a jug. <laughs> Very disturbing scene. <laughs> it It is. Um, and then he's interrupted because some people don't follow leash laws. Mm. Uh, these well, gr- I don't know what the leash laws in Sweden are like, <laughs> yeah. though. These girls are walking their dog, uh, and the dog is not on a leash, and he gets interested, and the dog comes running over, and uh, Hakan's trying to get the dog to, to go, and the dog won't. And so he hears the owners coming, and he just runs. Yeah. And he leaves the jug. Yeah, which I was like, really? I mean, that's the main thing you're after. You're just going to leave it. I mean, it didn't seem like he was that experienced at this point to me. I think uh, one of the things that this movie does so well is it points out the difficulties you would have in modern society of being a vampire. <laughs> that's true. Or or, Renque- or Renfield or, you know, yeah, that character. Just, right. So uh, I thought, you know, that's one of my issues with like the mainstream vampire movies. And this movie just comes right out and says, yeah, it's hard. You know, you got to feel for them. You know, I mean, we, we should, you know, help them out a little more. Right. Um, then it's a night scene now. And Oscar's going outside with his knife and he's doing that whole taxi driver threatening nobody thing. And no, he was threatening a tree. Yeah, it was a tree. And Ely is just suddenly there behind him wearing like pajamas and bare feet and the snow is deep 
And Oscar is bundled up with a scarf and a hat and a coat and everything. And she's just standing there on like monkey bars, like just hanging out. And, um, he turns around and they start having this conversation. And, uh, she tells him she can't be his friend. I can't be your friend. And he's like, maybe I don't want to be your right. friend, you know, like <laughs> right. kids will do. Typical kids, yeah. Yeah. And then just as quickly as she appeared, she, she vanishes. Yeah. Um, but she does say, I live next to you. Yes. The boarded up windows. So he right. does know that. Um, it goes to Hakan now sitting on the train. And now he realizes that he forgot the jug. And when he gets home, um, if you didn't know what was going on before, you start to get some bizarre sense because uh, when he gets home, Ely just lays into him. But they don't show it as her yet. The, right. The figure's a little mysterious. That's a good point. It's just her shadow. So it yeah. could be an adult talking to him. Yeah, they were like very... a, a spouse or something. Yeah, wasn't sure about that one. And but uh, she asks, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? And he just says, forgive me. Um, which, you know, my bad. I've, I messed up. Sorry. Kind of thing. Um, the next day at school. Oh, the, there, I did see the red in that scene. Oh yeah. He was wearing a red turtleneck, which I was like, okay, well this is vampire stuff. He's got a turtleneck. So it's protecting his neck, but it's blood red. Right. So I was like, okay, I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, the next day at school, the teacher's talking about the murder that has happened. This guy got strung up, and there'll be counselors available. And I, I was never a big fan of this happening at school. Whenever any catastrophe would happen, there's counselors available if you want to talk. And it's like, none of these kids knew this guy who was strung up. Why would they want to talk to a counselor? But I'm sure there's counselors out there who are getting mad that I'm saying that. Probably. Um, but from a kid's viewpoint... And you and he wouldn't have wanted to go anyway because that just makes him weak in front of the bullies, and they'd probably just pick on him again. Right in that, in, in kids' society in school, that's a big deal. That's a big issue. <laughs> then one of the bullies um, says, "Is it okay to kill the killer if you meet him?" Serial killer theme again, <laughs> right? But it's one of the bullies, and as the movie goes on, we find out that they don't really have the taste to be like as right. vicious as they portray themselves to be right. As opposed to Oscar, who's sitting in the classroom next to him, who's one of the kids they pick on who, you know, when he gets the chance, he takes it and he kind of seems to enjoy it. And, and it's a good kind of theme is, you know, it, can you kill the killer? Uh, because it does come back up again. And it makes you question then uh, our two main characters throughout the movie. It's, uh, I love this about horror movies. It's one of those times where you stop and if you boil the whole thing down, the horror movie is asking the question, is it okay to be happy that a bunch of kids get slaughtered? Right? <laughs> that should be the theme of the haunted house we go to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, the the kid throws that out there and it turns it actually is him vocalizing like a theme in the movie um which gets repeated later by ely um oscar's in the bathroom at the school and he hears the bullies looking for him but he manages to evade them by hanging out in the bathroom 
Um, he gets home and his mom is all about, you come straight home. And right about now, we find out that he, his mother is divorced. Yeah. It is him and his mom. Um, so mom really needs the counselor, not the kids. Yeah. And <laughs> like in 82, that wasn't a common occurrence. Right. And not, being yeah. divorced. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the kids, you know, the bullies are picking on him. You know, maybe that's why he's a target because he doesn't have a dad yeah. around. Yeah. Um, his mom has a newspaper. He steals the newspaper and here's the next sociopathic trait. He finds the article about the serial killer, he cuts it out and puts it, adds it to his scrapbook of very disturbing things that he's been collecting. Yeah, adds it to the collection. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've got Hannibal Lecter going on here. Mm-hmm. Now, Hakon goes um, out to eat because the guy's got to eat, right? He doesn't live on blood. So he's at a diner, and there's a bunch of locals sitting around the table. Uh, one of the locals, the one who we'll refer to most often, his name is Laka. And uh, he leans over, and he's talking to his friends, and he's like, hey, he's that new guy. Should I go talk to him? And they're like, hey, if you can get him to buy us around, it's even better. So he goes over and sits down and asks Hakon to join them, which I thought was actually pretty neighborly from a guy who does not look like he would be neighborly at all. No. Yeah. And his, the rest of his actions don't live up right. to that either. Right. Right. But, but I also took it as again, the bully thing that he kind of wanted them to join them. So they had someone to kick around and tease for the night. Pick on. And, and that kind of had the feel of the interaction. Yeah. But, but Hakon's like, I'm busy. And he gets up and leaves. Just like that. Oscar goes outside that night and he's sitting out in the uh, playground of their apartment and he's playing with a Rubik's cube and Ely shows up again. And um, Ely wonders what it is. And he's like, it's a Rubik's cube. It's a puzzle. You got to make all the sides the same color. And the only side that was completed was white because they didn't want to introduce a big splash of color. And every one of the other sides had a red on it somewhere. Um, he uh, he says she can take it and play with it and try it out. Then he mentions that she smells funny. And she should be cold. And she replies that she's forgotten how to be cold. Yeah, that was a great line. Yeah. She has a lot of those awesome lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he gets up to go inside, and as he's leaving, you hear her stomach growl. Um, so if you don't know it's a vampire movie by now, you really should have figured it out. Because if not, it really seems like you know child services needs to step in here. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if you didn't know it was a vampire movie till now, you find out in the very next scene. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, one of Laka's friends is walking home. Uh, in fact... He sees Laka and he like gives him a hug and then the two go their separate ways. And the guy's walking home and he walks under an overpass and there's this little girl like sitting against the wall of the overpass and she needs help. She's asking for help. And so the guy goes over to help her and she just leaps onto his back and like kills him and starts feeding. Um, There's a guy, a recluse. With a house full of cats. Crazy cat guy. Who's looking out his window and sees this happen. Uh, 
Ely goes home and then uh, Hakan is like all in their face about, you can't be doing this. This is too dangerous. You can't, you can't do this. And Oscar can hear the argument through the wall, but it can't hear it well enough to actually make out what's being said. Mm-hmm. It's not unlike living in an apartment where the couple next door is fighting. You just, <laughs> and you're like, or anything else. Yes. I've got stories. <laughs> it's only noisy enough to be annoying, not noisy enough to be interesting. <laughs> Maybe like this podcast. <laughs> Uh, let's hope not. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, Hawken Co- goes outside. He leaves. Um, we just see him leave. We don't see anything else that he does. Uh, until we have the the recluse uh, shows up at the tavern and he's like, "There was an attack," and all these people come to where the attack was, and they find blood, but no body. And you can't find the body because Hawken has put it on a sled and drug it off into the woods. Yeah. He's now a, there's a good servant. There's not a ton of like loops, loop, uh, story holes, but this is one of them. Because if I'm throwing a body on a sled and I'm walking off through that snowy wilderness, like two minutes before you show up, you're going to be able to track me if you <laughs> really want to. A 200 pound guy. Yes. Like yeah. 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 It's a minor loop. It minor is. It's hole. small. Um, he takes the uh, body, drags it off through the woods, finds a, a lake nearby, and there's a drain pipe that's draining into the lake. And because of that, there's a hole in the ice. So he takes the body and he tosses it into the hole in the ice and he uses his red, a red stick to uh, poke the body until it's underneath the ice and submerged. And then he goes home. And I find this... Interesting because it's obvious he's killed people before and brought the blood home. But when she didn't get that and she was mad, she had to take it into her own hands and take care of getting somebody, but she didn't bother getting rid of the body. Correct. Um, and one of the things I liked, at least until the end, which it doesn't follow, is she's not all powerful. She tricked this guy and kind of surprised him. Didn't just come up and like pick him up over her head like vampires with super strength. Right. Though at the very end, that gets a little challenged in thinking, but a little, um, but still it's, it's not the, it's, it's not completely typical, which was nice. No. And there's uh there's a scene coming up where you see how vulnerable she is because of her age and her size. Yes. Um, Oscar goes out the next morning on his way to school and finds the Rubik's cube solved in the courtyard where he and Ely were hanging out. Um, and what follows is probably the most beautiful, tranquil little montage of shots throughout the entire movie. It's just like this beautiful winter morning in Sweden kind of thing. And it's like the beauty of the day. A contrast to the night before. Where Contrasting to the ugliness the of the night before, right. Uh, that night, Oscar is outside and... In, Ely shows up and he's very nice to her. Like all of their standoffish kind of coquettish bantering between the two of them is now gone. She solved the Rubik's cube. You know, she's cool. Now he asks how old she is. And she says she's 12 more or less. Um, and she asks how old he is. And he has it like down to like the hours he can tell her. <laughs> um, 
and she says that she doesn't know when her birthday is. Um, and then she proceeds to show him how to solve a Rubik's cube, which maybe I need vampire friends. No one's ever shown me how to solve a Rubik's cube. Yeah, you can Google it now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Google's my friend. <laughs> you need. Did you some. hear that, Google? You're my friend. <laughs> oh, you better not say it too loud. You've got Siri. You'll make her jealous. <laughs> yeah, I don't use Siri. Um, the next scene is school, and I really enjoy this uh, because this is what like every teacher ever hopes for. She is reading The Hobbit out loud. And yeah. it's that part in The Hobbit where Bilbo sneaks past Gollum and all of the goblins and, like, successfully gets out from under, you know, the mountain. And when she finishes, she closes the book and all of the kids are staring at her in rapt attention, which is just like that kind of moment almost never happens. And when it does, you kind of soak it in. And she seems yeah. just a little bit pleased with herself yeah, yeah i i i usually only like the hobbit and its original klingon oh okay so we're just doubling start... down on the geekdom <laughs> yeah yeah um oscar stays oh, real quick sorry uh this scene and when i was first hearing it i'm like okay it's a vampire movie so is she reading some vampire novel but no it was fantasy which was a little interesting but it's one of the reasons I like the subtitles when it's a foreign movie, because you could hear her voice and you know, if somebody had overdubbed that, yeah, it definitely would have had different feel. The whole movie's like that with the kids talking and stuff. And it, yeah. it, 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 for, for anyone that's like, Oh, I hate subtitles. There, there is a, you know, skill and art to listening to it while you're watching and reading, but it does help convey the feel of the movie quite well. It's funny you mention that because there's controversy around the subtitles. Um, I think Miramax was the one who licensed to release it in the United States. And when they did, they had it subtitled. And um, Alfredson came at them and was like, the subtitles that you're using are like a child's translation of Swedish. This is horrible. <laughs> you need to get it resubtitled. And um, so they did, but like the first two or three rounds of releases that Miramax did of the DVD have apparently horrible subtitles on it. Well, I questioned the translation of The Hobbit because I'm like, that doesn't mm. seem like what Tolkien wrote. I didn't go look it up to compare, but I was questioning some it's of It's actually pretty that. close. Okay. I did go through and look. Okay. Um, and it, it just seems like maybe there was a sentence lifted out. So they could get to the part where he gets out into the air. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty close. Oscar says he's staying behind as the teacher's leaving the classroom. She's like, aren't you going? And he's like, no, I'm waiting. And she's like, okay. And she leaves. And I thought that is something that would never happen in the States. Yeah. You know, cause right. when it's time for you to leave, you get out of my room kind of thing. Um, and he's, he's copying Morse code down. And the bullies are very interested that he's copying something down on paper. So when he goes to leave school, the bullies surround him and demand that he hand over what he was writing down and he won't do it. And so they grab a switch and the one bully like hits him in the legs and he still won't do it. And like 
this isn't Connie. This is one of right. Connie's friends. Right. And he looks to him like, I really don't want to be doing any of this, this anymore. And Connie's like, keep going. And so he just keeps hitting him. And eventually they crack him across the face hard enough to draw blood. Um, and two of the three of them, not Connie, but the other two seem really disturbed by their own actions and they all run off. So that's interesting. The way, what you just said, because what we've been saying about the characters, uh, you know, looking like serial killer tropes and stuff, but how disturbed are they by their actions? It goes back to the question. Can you kill the killer? Right. You know, right. it all kind of ties in showing various sides of it with people changing from what they seemed originally. Right. Um, and I think it's really interesting that Connie doesn't actually do any of the violence. Yeah. I love how seems fine to be ordering people to do it for him. Yeah. Demands obedience from them. It's not Reggie and Archie. Right. Um, Oscar lies to his mom about what happened says he tripped and fell. Um, he then proceeds to teach Ely Morse code and gives her a key to decipher it. Um, and she asks him what happens and he's honest with her. He's not honest with his mom because, you know, you, you don't let your mom know that because you're snitching, but you can tell another kid who's the same age. Friends and family. Right. And this is, this is the push. She's like, when this happens, you need to hit them back. And he's like, but what if there's bunches of them? They're way stronger. She's like, then you hit even harder. Hit harder than you think you're allowed to. And it, and while the advice sounds like it's sound advice, it um kind of has this edge of brutality to it. Like, you know, if somebody is going to mess with you, you're justified in just wiping them out. It's kind of how she she put it. Well, then if she, you're a vampire for 300 years, your viewpoints change a bit. That's true. You, your humanity might be a little low on the totem pole. Um, she says that she'll be there to help him if he needs it. And then uh, she touches his hand. This is the first actual contact between the two of them. Um, Hawkins watching through the window. And at first I was like, he's being protective. And then I was like, he's being jealous. And then, and this is where you're talking about friendship overcomes everything. Then I think he was recognizing a grooming when he sees it. Yeah. Cause so, the, the, that, and okay. That makes a lot of sense with what's coming up because I was like, with his actions coming up. Perfect. Right. I love that. Good, good interpretation. I love it. Um, they're back in their respective apartments. Um, and they're trying out the Morse code and like Hawkins in the way. And she's like, get out of here. I'll get out of my way. And she's just blatantly dismissive to him. And it's very kid like too. Cause you know, kids are like, Oh, I want my privacy because we're doing kid things and parents wouldn't understand, but she's also the master. Yeah. Uh, the next day Oscar signs up for weightlifting. Cause if you're going to hit back, you know, um, and, and this whole thing now, so we're talking about, uh, all, all these things, but you got Oscar who's basically a good kid, but now he starts changing because he wants to be more the bad kid in a way. Yes. And, and he, at some point here, he, he wants to be the vampire, but then you got the vampire that's wishing 
she were more of a normal kid, normal kid. and stuff. So you got that those going against each other. Um, that night, uh, Ely and Oscar go out on the town and he buys her candy and gives her a piece of candy. And along with the standard vampire tropes, she really can't eat it. Right. Um, he kind of insists. So she tries one and then she runs around the corner and throws it all up. So um, I thought that was significant becoming friends because she's willing, she knows what will happen. She's willing to do it, but she doesn't want to tell him. And it's like, well, you think throwing up's going to be better. Yeah. So, but and uh, he you know, apologizes to her for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I like what you said. Yeah. I took it all as their friends. She wants a friend, but the grooming thing, she See, wants both. This, this is where, this is where the viewing like differs between the two of us, because yeah. you're saying like a warm friendship occurring between the two of them. And I'm thinking she's like a 200 year old entity and she knows the last useful human servant she has is old and is yeah. screwing up. And I even thought that. Yeah. And I need to replace him. And so while you were seeing this as a movie about building friendships, I was seeing it as a movie of a predator getting rid of one useless old tool and replacing it with another. Yeah. I totally, totally agree and see that. Now it could be both at this point because yes. she has someone about her age. I but... do think I do think there's kind of this amalgam between the two. Um, the end result, though, is you know the same kind yeah, of. Yeah, I, I love that. That's great. Um, so he apologizes to her um, and he gives her a hug, and it's the stiffest hug ever because she doesn't like reciprocate at all. She just stands there, but she says. Would you like me? She says, do you like me? And he says, yes. Then she says, would you like me even if I wasn't a girl? And he's like, yeah, why? And that's the end of their conversation about it. Um, And that's one of the hints that Ely's not really a girl. Because when I first saw it, I thought, oh, she's talking about the fact that she's a vampire. Exactly. But then finding out, like, novelized, like in the canon, Ely's really not a girl. I was like, oh, okay. And you start to see the little hints as they fall along. Got it. Okay. Um, Oscar spends the next week with his dad. And his dad lives out in remote, wintry Sweden. And it looks like a great time. He's like hauling him around. on. A, he's on an inner tube. And his dad's hauling him on a four-wheeler across the frozen lake and stuff like that. Um, and his dad has a coat. And uh, Oscar just, it's red, of course. Oscar just takes a minute just to smell it, just to take in the essence of, you know, this perfect time he's having with his father, you know, uh, just to remember. And, you know, they say like olfactory memory, olfactory triggered memories are some of the strongest because it's the shortest pathway to your brain. And, and so it's it's kind of this really heartwarming scene, right? Yeah. Um. And if you feel like I'm going to ruin this heartwarming scene. No, go ahead. You're probably going to say something similar to what I'm thinking. Well, the next scene between him and his dad is completely different. So he really needs to take this one perfect weekend and treasure it as much as he possibly can. And I also took it as this is the last hurrah of his normal life that he's about to leave behind. Yeah, sure. Um. Back in town, Hakan's getting ready to go out and find a new victim, and he asks Ely to not see Oscar that night. 
And she walks over and like with the affection you would give an aging dog in your house, she just kind of pats him on the cheek. Um, then he goes out to a gym where kids are playing basketball and it really does give it a little bit of a pedo vibe. Cause he's just <laughs> standing out there watching them play basketball. Um, he waits until the basketball game's done and ends up snagging one of the kids gases him. And by kids, they're like high schoolers. Yeah. yeah. Has the kid trust up in the locker room and never thinks apparently that this kid might have friends waiting around for him, which yeah. he does. And this, I totally questioned this. I'm like, after the other scene where he drug one lone guy into the woods, it was just happenstance. He got caught. Why do it in such a public place with so many people around? It was like, what are you doing? Do you not know how to do this by this point? <laughs> right. Um, the kids actually come, uh, come looking for their friend who wakes up. And uh, he's calling for help, and they're outside the door trying to bust in. And Hakan goes around the corner, and um, he has a jar with him that he had packed up, and it's caustic material, like an acid. The only reason we know that is because he spilled some on a coat, which burnt holes in the coat. So he says Ely's name, and then pours the stuff on top of his head. Just runs down his face. Um, and then the directors go right from that scene to a scene of Ely sitting completely isolated alone in her apartment, which is what basically just happened. She went from being like a daughter to being an orphan, just like that. And, And, you know, I was even thinking, it's like, well, wait a second. If she's 300, this guy can't be her real father. Cause originally that's what I was taking it. Oh, my daughter got bit by a vampire, but I love her. I want to keep her alive. So I'm going to do all these horrible things. But now you're saying about the grooming, it's like, oh man, he's been with her for 40 years since he was 10 years old. He was an Oscar at one point. In time. Yes. And that's like, click. I, I totally see that. So at this point, cause I'm like, why would he do that? He could have got away and, oh, he prepared for it. He knew he was done. He set it up to yep. be done because of what happens at the hospital. <laughs> yep. Um, Oscar goes home, uh, goes to weightlifting, and when he leaves, <laughs> he finds that his pants have been stuffed into a urinal. Um, the bullies strike again. He should buy a lock. Um, so he puts him in a plastic bag and walks home in his underwear and cowboy boots and a winter jacket and a stocking cap, which I just think is kind of like this very pathetic scene of, yes, this is how badly bullied this kid is. Yeah, I, I felt for this kid. Yeah. Ely hears a radio report talking about how Hakan's been captured. And nobody knows where he's at, and he's at the hospital. Nobody knows who he is, and he's at the hospital. So she decides to go to the hospital to find out. And she shows up, and one of the first things I notice is that she's in her bare feet. Yeah. And yeah. she's wearing her pajamas. And she walks up to this lady, and she's like, Whoa, wait, before that. Yes. One of the very subtle vampire things you see from a long shot, the receptionist at the desk, but you hear a voice go, Oh, come on in. And then Ely Ely walks in. Yes. And and that was, you know, again, very subtle. You had to pay attention and and it was a, Oh, check. There's a vampire trope right there. Yep. So she goes in 
um, and says, my father was hurt and the police brought him here. And the receptionist is like, oh, shit, that guy. And, and she's How like, do you say shit in Swedish? I, I, <laughs> I should have paid more attention. Yeah, I want to learn that now. Um, she says, uh, you know, he's under protective custody. You can't go up and see him. He's on the seventh floor. And then Ely disappears. Right. And she appears outside of the window, seven floors up. Yeah. Well, the the uh, the I love this because the nurse goes running out after and can't find her. And when that started to happen, I immediately looked at the building to look for where she was climbing up because that was you know it's like oh we got to put that scene into the movie. Yeah, and she was. Yeah. Um. So she is uh, outside of the window. Um. He goes over. Like he's on some iron lung, something to like force him to breathe. Uh, he's been horribly damaged by the, half a face. Yes. Real two face kind of character. Yeah. Um, he gets up and opens the window. Um, and she asks if she can come in and he like lets her in. Um, and then she proceeds to feed on him. He gives himself up. He doesn't fight. He knows it's coming. And that's what I was confused about until what you said. Now it makes sense. He yep. knew he was done. And now I'm thinking about it more. You know, he, he was Oscar. You know, he was friends with her. That He really cared for her. And, yep. you know, she's just kind of tossing, literally tossing him aside now. Yeah. But just like anybody, you get a puppy. You love it for a while until it's a big old clumsy dog. And then. Yeah, after 40 years, time for a new model. That's right. Uh, so he falls out the window. Seven stories to the ground below. Bump. Good sound there, too. Yes. The Foley work is amazing. Um, now, we see Lockie for the first time in a long time. The guy from the diner. And he wakes up in a sweat. Um, saying that the guy who reported that murder said that a kid killed his friend. And if he, if he could, he'd like to tear that kid limb from limb. And I think it, it, there's a lot of times throughout this film where people are just talking about committing horrendous violence on people. And I, I just, that phrase is not a phrase you hear very often. I would like to tear this kid limb from limb. Um, it, it almost is like everybody's big talk, except for the little girl. She has action. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't say much, but when she does, Ely goes to Oscar's window and wakes him and tells him not to look at her. Um, but he has to say that she can come in, and he says she she can, and so she tells him to close his eyes, and then she disrobes and climbs into bed with him. Um. And he asks how she got there, and she says she flew. Um, which check? Yep. <laughs> he asks if she wants to go steady, and she's like, "What if I'm not a girl?" And he's like, "You want to go steady, anyways?" And she's like, "Yeah." And he's like, content with that, and falls asleep with a big smile on his face. Oh, she asks um, if they would do if they do anything different if when they're going steady, and he's like, "No." And then she's like, "Sure." Um, and there's this very tender scene as she like caresses his back until he falls asleep with blood dripping down her lips. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why he's not supposed to look. Yeah. Um, the next morning he checks his window and she's gone, but she's left a little love note behind and we don't know what that means until later. We right. don't actually get to see it. They don't show it to you. 
Um, and the school takes the kids out to the pond to skate. Um, which I don't know is either love lovingly indicative of the 1980s or lovingly <laughs> indicative of what they do in Sweden. Yeah, because we barely get five minutes at a bowling alley for a field trip. Yeah. Um, so they go out there and they th- they say there's this hole in the ice. Um, so don't skate over there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Americans would probably flip out. Of, you can't take my kid. There's a hole in the ice. And they're yeah. like, yeah, just don't go over there. <laughs> yeah. Oscar goes over to the hole and um, finds the red pole that Hawken had used to push that body into the lake with. And uh, I think it's kind of just a nice subtle way to remind you that, hey, this is that lake. Um, and then some bullies come over and start to threaten to throw him into the hole. It's Connie, Connie and his and friends. His friends. Um, and then at the same time, that's happening on this side of the pond. On this side of the pond, two little girls come up to the teacher and are like, we got to pee. And the teacher's watching what's happening out there with Connie and Oscar. Because, you know, the teachers know this kind of crap's going yeah. on. So yeah. they're trying to nip it in the butt if anything's going to happen. And he tells uh, the girls to just go pee behind a tree. Yeah, I love that. That was <laughs> Yes, just again, American audiences would probably be like screaming. Yeah, right. Um the bullies come over and um he tells the bully he tells Connie he's going to hit him with it. And Connie's like, "Yeah, sure you are." And then he does. And he hits him hard enough that the kid's ear just kind of splits. Yeah. And there's that moment, that moment of silence. And then Connie drops to his knees and starts screaming. And the teachers, I'm sure, are all ready to pounce. But at the same time, the little girls who went to pee behind the tree start screaming because they found a dead guy's body frozen in the lake. Um, Oscar's face after he brings Connie to his knees is just one of sheer joy. Yeah. He is just thrilled. And there's sociopathic trait. Number three, right? Check that so, one out. You know, along with that, think you know, you know, uh, I'm sure there's been other talk and studies or whatever at the sociopathic traits of vampires and a reflection of society. Yeah, you know, and that shows it a lot right here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he gets home and his mom is pissed off because the school <laughs> called and said your son just hit another kid with a stick and he's in the hospital. And he's still smiling. Yes, he's still smiling. <laughs> um, and she's like talking to his dad about it, and she's like, "You talk to your dad, young man." And hands him the phone, and is it, his dad like instantly changes the subject? And they're like, "Hey, is the is the four wheeler still running?" And <laughs> You know, and the mom is super pissed off. Yeah, because the dad is blowing this off completely. That scene made me chuckle. Yeah, it's yeah. like the only chuckle, really. Yeah, um, we're back to Oscar being in weightlifting class, and then um, in the pool, and one of the bullies seems to be being nice to him. Uh, the one kid who was switching his legs seems to, you know, being nice to him, and I'm like, oh, maybe they respect him now because. You know, he stood up for himself. Um, the whole time he's there, Ely is watching from outside through a window. Um, she's dressed for winter, which is clever. So as to not draw any attention on herself, she's just a little kid looking in through the window. Um, he meets up with her and takes her to some isolated place where older kids hang out. It looks like some abandoned apartment or something. Yeah, There's like a clash poster on the wall and stuff like that. 
Um, and he's telling her how he hit Connie with a stick and she's like, well done. Um, and she's playing some music and she's kind of wondering what they're doing here. And, you know, Oscar's still on cloud nine from his triumph over Connie. He takes out his knife and cuts his hand because he wants to do the whole blood brother thing with Ely. It is the eight. Yes. Before bloodborne pathogens. Yeah. Um, and she starts to freak out at the sight of the blood. Um, and he's a little stunned by that. And um, she drops to her knees and starts to lick it up off the floor and tells him to go. And he's just like frozen on the spot, as one would be when one's best friend starts licking their blood up off the floor. Yeah, yeah. It happens. And what are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? It's, it's, girl's got to eat. So she runs off. Um. The diner guys uh, are with the uh, cat-loving recluse trying to convince him to go to the police with the fact that he saw a child attacking their friend. Yaka was their friend's name. Yeah, Uh, He doesn't want to do it. Um, So Laka is sitting there right next to his girlfriend and he's like, you know, there'll never, nobody, you know, basically saying, I just really like, love this guy and there's nobody else out there for me. And she gets mad and, um, she leaves and he goes chasing after like, wait, I'm sorry. Um, and she tells him to get lost and she starts to walk through the underpass and Ely, like in a feral form, like drops down on this lady and attacks her, which I liked, and you know, it's typical, but it's so she had somebody getting her blood and he hasn't been able to do that. So I took that as she's kind of regressing even more mm. uh, and having to go out and get her own. Yeah. Um, the hungrier she gets. Yeah. And she's, and she just ate a little bit. So, it, you know, kind of triggered her. Yeah. Um, Lockie comes running around the corner and like kicks Ely and Ely goes flying off. And he bends down to his girlfriend and Ely like sits up for a second, blood all over her, looks a little, I mean, she doesn't look like she's in pain, but she almost looks like she's coming too. Yeah. Like she's starting to realize the situation she's in. Snap out of it. And she takes off. Um, The next day, Lockie's girlfriend wakes up and um, a beam of sunlight's coming through her shades and hits her finger and it burns. Check. Yes. Um, and the smell of her own blood from the bandage on her wound actually hungers her. And she's upset by this. Yeah. Cause you can see so. it. She's like, okay, I've seen enough movies. I know what's going on here. I can't believe this. Yes. Um, Oscar is back with his dad and they're listening to some cool jazz. Having a nice time playing tic-tac-toe. And then his dad's new friend shows up and there are some glances between the new friend that makes us realize why perhaps he and his mom got divorced. It um, seems like his new friend, this guy is Oscar's dad's new love. And all of that warmth that we had from the first scene with them is gone. Now the dad and his boyfriend are sitting there drinking shots Oscar's completely ignored. 
Um, and he pulls out the love note that Ely gave him, and it said, I must leave and live or stay and die. Because she was in his room, the sun would rise. If she was there in the morning, she would die, so she had to leave. So Oscar leaves and hitchhikes back to the city. Yeah. And his now, father well, doesn't even seem to notice. Yeah, and this, like the rest of the theme... You've got change. You've got the father who seems like this really great, cool guy totally changes to a dickhead uh, when this other guy shows up, you know, treats the son totally different. So again, everybody in this movie goes through change uh, from one extreme to the other. Right. Um, Now here's Steve's favorite little scene. Um, Lockie's girlfriend shows up at the witness's house, uh, probably looking to feed on somebody. And the witness who has 8 million cats, uh, the cats all start to freak out and just flat out attack her. Yep. And she runs the building covered in cats yeah. and is taken and I, to the hospital. I found this a little interesting, too, because cats are typically, you know, in the mythology, witches familiars. So it's like, oh, vampires against witches almost. So yeah. uh, And I know that's not what they were portraying, but and they just wanted to show an animal that kind of was going Knows. crazy and detected it. Yeah. Check. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Oscar goes to Ely's apartment and she lets him into the foyer, but she won't let him into the main part of the house. And he asks her, and this is the one time it gets mentioned, are you a vampire? And she says, I live off blood. Um, so she doesn't actually admit to it. He asks her if she's dead and she's like, no, can't you tell? And uh, he asks if she's old and she's like, I'm 12. I've been 12 for a long time. Right. A typical woman. <laughs> yes. And I think this, this harkens back to something you said in Byzantium, that when you become a vampire, your aging stops, not just physically, but like mentally and emotionally as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because at times she seems like a child. Yeah, definitely. And she wants that friendship. You know, you see the vampires in the movies a lot. They're very haughty and very standoffish and, you know, I'm superior. And she doesn't always show that with him. She's, right. uh, you know, grooming him, it seems, but also wants that friendship. Yes. And he will continue to be her friend until he's not a kid anymore. Then he's just the adult who does things for her. Right. Like a parent. Um <laughs> She then lets him in, and the apartment is pretty much empty. And he asks her about money, and she's got this really cool egg thing. It's like made up of a bunch of different pieces of metal. She says, touch the top, and he does, and it collapses, and there's a sphere of gold inside. She says you could buy an entire nuclear power plant with that egg. Yeah. Now, is this a scene where she comes in? Or is that still to come? That's still to come. Okay, sorry. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Go. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh <laughs> The camera pans around a bit, and there's this pile of rings tied together with a string. <laughs> and he asks where she got him, them, and he does. She doesn't answer. And at this point, um, Oscar starts to get to be a little judgy. Like, yeah, you are a killer. Like, you kill lots and lots of people. Um, and so I might have some moral high ground to you, even though you seem so smart all the time. Um, Which is funny because that's kind of what you wanted to do with the knife, Oscar. Come on. And she points that out eventually. Um, So there's this weird thing that happens. There's this series of quick cuts. It cuts to the new vampire sitting in the hospital and telling Lockheed that Ely must have infected her and she doesn't even want to live. 
and Lucky, you know, he seems like a jerk through pretty much the whole movie. But he's actually sitting there at her bedside talking to her. So you must feel something for this woman, right? Yeah, after he insulted her and said, you know, only this guy meant anything to me. Um, Then it goes right from there to a scene of Oscar and his mom playfully brushing their teeth. Like a contest kind of thing. And it has this really wholesome mothery child kind of vibe to it. And then we go back to the, back to the hospital again. It was a really weird thing to interject in the middle. Was that whole toothbrushing thing? Yeah, I agree. Uh, It it broke the, uh, you know, it broke the pacing up nicely, but it was an odd choice. Um, At the hospital, uh, the orderly is there. They're going to take some blood tests and they're like, you might be able to go home today. And she's like, can you open the blinds? She knows. She, 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 she's seen enough of the movies. 10% knows. And he opens the blinds and she bursts into flames. Like Stephen King horror movie kind of bursts into flames. Shooting up to the ceiling. Yeah. Um, Lockie, it was a really good scene for that. I oh, mean, yeah. It, it looked really good. Lockie comes running into the room and sees this. And I think that's what seals it for him. Yeah, he kind of flips. Yes. Um, there's a scene back at the school, it goes, cuts to the school and Connie is back with his friends and he's like trying to bully kids and kids seem to be ignoring him now. And I'm like, Hey, the bully lost his power. And then this big kid comes up and starts pushing him around. And Oscar sees this from a distance and you're like, Oh, Connie's getting bullied by some other big kid, but it turns out it's just his brother and he needs the keys to go home. Um, this is introducing you to Connie's brother. And you know Connie's a bully. You can kind of Which, assume. I'm surprised they didn't introduce the brother earlier in the whole movie. Just yeah. a, a quick little bit. I bet you in the book they do. Probably. Um, that night, Oscar is at home eating. And uh, the doorbell rings. And it's Ely. And um, she's like, you have to invite me in. And he's being a complete dick about it. And he won't do it. And he's like, come on in, you know, what'll happen. So she does. And she like starts like hemorrhagic fever, like just bleeding from everything. And now he sees that this is a real deal. This is, this isn't messed up. And he invites her in. And Um, that's all, which I loved because I don't know if I can name another movie where you see the vampire come in and something happens like that. I always wondered. Yeah. Uh, which okay, we'll take it as the only one. This is what happens because most of the time, like you know, uh, uh, you see movies, TV shows. They say, "I uninvite you," and whoosh, they get sucked back out. Right, or they're like an invisible barrier; they can't get yeah. through, kind of thing. Yeah, now they just bleed out their eyes. And based on their stuff, you were saying in the movie, this also kind of cements their relationship that he's willing to do anything for her now. Yeah, uh, and and so uh, he will take care of her. She kind of. It's know, a good final test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's like seen him practicing his whole, I'm going to cut you piggy. And she's like, you would kill people if you could, if you could get away with it, you would do it. And then there's this really intense scene where it's like both of their eyes super close up. And she says, please be me for a while. And, at this point where they're doing the eye thing, I'm like, Dracula had this thing. If you want to go back to then where he could indoctrinate somebody, right? He could like get into their head 
the glamour and turn them into his servant. And I, I'm like, is there a hint of that here? Yeah. Uh, check. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're jamming out to some music. Uh, her clothes are covered in blood because, you know, he made her come in without inviting her and she starts to bleed out. Um, and so he's like, you can borrow one of my mom's dresses. She goes in to change and he decides to take a peek. And this is the part, this is the scene that always kind of made me cringe. Right. They like show you her crotch. Um, and it's not like, you know, super zoomed in or close up or anything like that. It's from a distance. And you're like, these kids are 12. Right. I thought it was a, but it makes sense. But it, but so this time I actually paid attention and there's, it's like covered in scar tissue, which harkens back to the whole thing about Ely actually being a castrated boy. Yeah. So it makes a lot more sense and kind of needed it. And it's even like we said about the, the big kiss in the innocence. It's, it's very cringe worthy. Yes. It is a cringe worthy scene. Yeah. When, when she crawled into bed with them, I even wrote the note down that this is less cringeworthy than what happened in the innocence. Right. Right. Cause you know, there's something about just human contact. It, it doesn't kids. have to be anything sexual. It's just, right. you know, the skin on skin does something right. 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 Um, his mom comes home and Ely flees. She runs away. Uh, Lockie goes back to the scene of the original attack. Um, so there's a shot of that. And then the next morning, Oscar is at Ely's and she's left a note saying uh, how much she likes Oscar. And uh, does he want to hang out with her that night? Lockie notices that the windows in Ely's apartment are boarded up and seeing what just happened to his girlfriend. Um, he goes and breaks into her apartment. And he's looking around and like can't find anybody. Oscar's actually there hiding under a table, but he doesn't see him. So the guy goes to the bathroom, which is where Oscar's not supposed to go, opens the bathroom up, and Ely's asleep in the bathtub. Covered. Covered up. This guy's got a knife, and he pulls the blanket back, and he's like, I can't see what's going on. So he goes to cut the blinds down, and Oscar yells at him. Oscar has his knife out. You know, a 12-year-old, he would have to, like, surprise attack the guy, but yelling <laughs> yeah. is not going to do it. Oscar yells, and Ely wakes up, and just, that's the end of Lockie. Yeah. And, and Oscar helps. He looks at it for a second, and then just slowly closes the door. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's there. Um, when she's done, she comes out covered in blood, gives Oscar a big bloody hug and a kiss and says she has to go away now. Um, Oscar goes home and his mom is super pissed off because uh, it looks like he was out all night long. While she's yelling at him, he's looking out the window and he sees a cab taking Ely away. He goes back to her apartment and it's completely empty. And he puts his hand against the window and takes it off. And his handprint's there, and it slowly dissolves, just like his only friend in the world is slowly yeah. disappearing. And that's actually the whole marketing for the American version. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next morning, he's crying about it. And uh, one, one of Connie's friends, the one who was acting like he was nice to him in the pool, uh, says that he's supposed to go to the pool that night. And the camera pans back, and you find out that not only is Connie there, so this is a setup. Connie's big brother's there. 
Oscar shows up and he starts with some water aerobics with the instructor. And the bullies start a dumpster fire, which draws the instructor away. Yeah, again, American sensibilities. We'll just leave a kid alone in the pool. <laughs> well, then the bullies show up and tell everyone to get out, and everyone does. Um, Connie's brother has a knife, and he's like an eye for an ear, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold... He tells Oscar, I'm going to hold your head underwater, and if you can hold your breath for three minutes, I'll just cut you. But if you come up before then, I'm going to take your eye. Because you know what you did to my brother. Um, So he holds his head underwater. But Oscar's in the middle of the pool and he just swims up to the edge. It's like, very obedient, Very obediently, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Two of the three boys are really not into it. And one of them even goes over and sits down on the bleachers. The other one's still standing there. And even Connie, at some point, while he's holding Oscar's head underwater, is telling his brother to stop. Yeah. And his brother's like, no, he's not going to do it. And so the camera's underwater with Oscar, who's holding his breath. And you just see this arm holding him down in his head. And then all of a sudden, you just <laughs> see like this flash. And then you see feet getting pulled across the water. Yes. Yeah. A head falls into the water. <laughs> and then the arm that's holding him under the water is no longer attached to a body and it just starts to sink. I must say that is probably one of my favorite scenes in movies ever. It was so good. Cause you didn't see the vampire running around doing the destruction. You saw the post destruction, you know, and not even all of it. It's just such a great choice for a movie. And again, it goes back to the, the art piece type stuff more so than the Hollywood scream and shudder movie. And you heard it here, folks, that Steve enjoys it when children are killed in a swimming pool. <laughs> but it has to be done tastefully. Yes, tastefully done. Yeah. Um, the camera pans back. Uh, Ely pulls um, Oscar out. Um, and there's one kid, the kid who is sitting on the bleachers, is still alive and sitting on the bleachers. Yeah. Um, and and, then, and they're, they're posed in gruesome ways. I mean, there's blood everywhere, and they're... they're you know, deformed and their death. It's, it's pretty gruesome. That kid's going to need some counseling. Yeah, probably. Uh, the movie ends. They have counselors standing by. They, they do. Said so earlier. That's right. <laughs> uh, the film then fades to black, just like it starts. And the snow starts to fall and you're thinking it's over, but then just to let you know, it's not Oscar's sitting on a train, riding through the countryside by himself, looking out a window. And there's a box next to him. And Morse code gets tapped on the box and he responds with Morse code. He has become the next Hakan and credits yeah. start. Yeah. It, I, that's, it was such a good ending for the, yeah. the movie and stuff. And it happens quick. Uh, you know, that, that whole thing is again, you get a typical Hollywood movie. It would have been this whole huge buildup of chasing through the halls and a oh, big yeah. long extended fight. And you just see every one of her strikes and stuff. Yeah. As which is why to, I like that. Zoop, done. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes that scene so good because it is different. It's yes. not the typical. And, you know, maybe maybe it's because it was kids. You know, they didn't want to show that. Could be, or it could just be, if you think about it, a 300-year-old vampire should not have a problem slaughtering a whole bunch of unknowing kids right. hanging around right. a pool. It should yep. be pretty easy for them. And yep. it looked like it was pretty easy for and, and that was the first real, like, super strength that, uh, you really saw with her. 
Yeah. I, so, yes, she definitely had to have more strength than she would appear to. But there were kids. You know, she she wasn't tossing Lockie around. Right. Big, fat-ass, 40-year-old well, Swedish guy. She was tossing around scrawny high school kids and 12-year-olds. Well, then I want to see you grab Price and drag him through the water from the edge of the pool. He's pretty scary. <laughs> He's pretty skinny. And, yeah. <laughs> Might be able to do it. Probably the only way I'd get him into a pool. <laughs> Filming a vampire movie. Filming a, filming a vampire movie, yeah. So that's Let the Right One In. Yeah, good good movie. Uh, Swedish version. Yeah, and, you know, uh, we're not, like, experts or anything like that, and all we're talking about is just our opinion. But when it gets nominated for 133 awards and wins 75 of them, I, I don't really impressive. think you need us to tell you that it's a good movie. Yeah, yeah, so give it a try, even with the subtitles. Absolutely. Uh, and- I, I don't. I know I've seen the American version. I don't remember it too well, except flashes of seeing some of the scenes. Uh, again, I might go watch it to compare against this, but you know, I, I'd probably recommend this movie. Again, the American version is not bad. It's just not this good. Right. It, Which it, actually, not bad is saying something. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, again, you know, I use this analogy. It'd be like going and and seeing some band cover stairway to heaven because why would you do that they did it fine you know <laughs> right right if you want to hear it done fine just play theirs anybody else is doing it is just so right yeah good movie good choice our next movie is another and the last vampire movie on the list okay good and it's it's definitely not as gruesome <laughs> Uh, I don't want to say it's not gruesome because it's it's uh I think it might be Canadian. I don't know. Well, it's got Alex Lifeson, so I would say probably he's just at the end. But it's got a lot of other famous musicians in it as well. Yeah, play much more does. prominent roles. So uh, we will be watching Suck next time. Yeah, suck. Yes, good and, movie. I got some good notes on it. Had fun with that one. Yes, entering into the horror comedy section of the conversation. Yes, so. which. I love, uh, and I'll go throw this name out, uh, Jeff Strand, who I know you've read and said was okay. Mm-hmm. I love his stuff. That's what he does. He writes he's writes horror comedy. He could have very well written Suck. And what I loved about this one, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it, is the music. It, it was surprisingly oh, yeah. uh, part of that movie that I was like, wow, okay. So you got a movie about a band. The music better be good. And and it was. And the way they did it was perfect. We'll talk about it next time. It's such it's it's well worth it. Awesome. All right, All right. ma'am. Well, talk to you next time then. Next time it is. The creature slips from perception. Pay attention. It will rise again.